Hello and welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. My name is Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So at the outset, I thought it would be appropriate to say um, that we recognize that today's topic is a sensitive one, uh, perhaps a very sensitive one, depending on who you are, uh, your life experience, those that are close to you. I just want to acknowledge and recognize that I am a, uh, a person who does not have much experience with divorce. Uh, my parents are still married. My wife's parents are still married. I think most of the people that I'm close to have parents that are still married. Um, so this this is something that, like for me, is not uh, a personal or lived experience. And so I just wanted to say that at the outset, that I, I want to approach this topic with sensitivity, uh, with respect, with grace. Um, but as you may have learned from the title of this episode, we're talking about divorcing an abusive spouse and that that it is not a sin. Uh, this is actually a, a direct reference to a article that was written by Russell Moore. Uh, it was released on Christianity Today. And I believe this was like a week or so ago that this came out. Um, but I think I'll just read how he starts the article to sort of set the stage. And then I'll kick it over to you. And we'll sort of discuss this. But he starts the article by saying, Over the past couple of weeks, I have received lots of questions about divorce in the case of abuse. At least some of those questions most likely come from reports of a church disciplining a woman for leaving her allegedly abusive husband. In case you or someone you love is in that situation, let me start with my conclusion. You are not sinful for divorcing an abusive spouse or for remarrying after you do. Uh, the reason this is even a question for people is because they know that the Bible says God hates divorce. In scripture, marriage is a covenant meant to embody the sign of the union between Christ and his church. Jesus spoke very strongly against divorce, even framing the law of Moses's uh, allowance of divorce as a temporary concession to hard-heartedness, not as God's plan for marriage. And you can see that in Matthew 5, Mark 10, Luke 16. Um, so that's, that's how Russell... Uh, chooses to begin his article there's even like a little so like there's like the the title divorcing an abusive spouse is not a sin and there's almost like a tagline that says not only is it morally justified it also aligns with christ's heart for the vulnerable um so that's that's how i wanted to start this episode i'm curious what you have to say here lucas so in addition to divorce being a sensitive topic obviously domestic violence and abuse of all kinds is also a sensitive topic. And again, um, you know, not much more to say, just, just that, uh, that's kind of what we're talking about. You know, that's what this article is about and it's a valuable topic. Uh, it's an important topic, um, that, but if, if you are someone who has, uh, experienced or been around, that kind of thing and, and, and might not want to, you know, listen to this conversation. Uh, we do want to make it, you know, doubly and triply clear, uh, that that's what we're talking about. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I hadn't seen this article until you brought it to my attention for, for doing this, this topic. And, um, it's a really good article. It's not that long. It's, just on Christianity Today's website, like you should 
definitely go read it. Um, you know, we'll even uh, link to it down own. below just yeah. in case you don't, yeah. in case you can't find it. We'll put a link in the description. Perfect. Um, you know, before listen before listening to the rest of this conversation, if you haven't read it, it might be helpful to get kind of kind of get your bearings in context of where we're um, like what we're referencing. But then also, it's just it's just a good article. You know, I I think just overall it's worth a read. Um, so would would recommend you go check that link out. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, like there's a lot of ways that we could go about this conversation. But but obviously, like first and foremost, there is the fact that. Um, Divorce is a sin. It is not always a sin. But if we're talking about coming from a, you know, what we might call a, a biblical perspective, if we're talking about trying to summarize what the Bible teaches, what, what, what it tells us about divorce, what the um, traditional uh, Christian approach to divorce is, it's that um, it's a bad thing that is oftentimes um, a sinful thing. Uh, and, um, that being said, has very, uh, clear, uh, exceptions to where the rule of it being bad and the rule of it being, um, you know, against God's will, there are exceptions to that. Um, we see exceptions all the way back in the law of Moses, um, which Jesus puts into a, um, a perspective of, you know, a broader context of human sin being hard-hearted um, so that there was this concession allowed. Um, but, but even Jesus's, you know, maybe quote unquote harsher stance on divorce than Moses, so to speak. There's a lot of potential problems with that statement, but you know, at least on the surface level, like what we might, what we might see is Jesus kind of raising the stakes. Um, even he gives uh, very explicitly and like pretty non- like it's very <laughs> unambiguous what Jesus is thinking in terms of um, exceptions to his rule, um, which, you know, just to, just to sort of remind us for, for those of us who are aware of it um, and introduce it for those of us who might not be um, in Matthew six, I'll, I'll read Matt, the, the Matthew account in, in the sermon on the Mount, Matthew six, 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's the quote from the law of Moses. Verse 32, but I, Jesus, say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity or sexual immorality or adultery, depending on the translation, makes her an adulteress. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So removing the exception to kind of give like the baseline claim that Jesus is making, everyone who divorces his wife makes her an adulteress. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And then the exception is, except on the ground of unchastity, adultery, et cetera, et cetera, unfaithfulness, marital infidelity, you know, we could, that's what he's talking about, right? Um, that's really strong. <laughs> and uh, I'm not interested, I don't think you're interested, uh, Russell Moore wasn't interested in his article in trying to change that or explain it away or hide from the, um, we could say the severity of divorce, right? And I think that, that just, well, I mean, that just is our baseline that we're operating from. We're seeking, along with what Russell Moore is doing in this article and along with what faithful Christians have been doing for 2,000 years on this topic and related topics, we're seeking to apply 
the, the rules and the laws and the regulations that God has revealed to us of how he wants his people to live as a result of them being in Christ. Um, and the reason divorce is this severe is sort of fleshed out more fully, I think we could say, in Ephesians 5, where Paul um, sort of announces the, the mystery of, that marriage is, you know, the, the, the mysterion, which is, you know, essentially the Greek word for what we in the West the Latin-speaking church has called, come to call sacraments. Um, like, th- this is, this is bi- what I, th- I highlight that to say this is big language, right? Like, Paul's making a big deal about marriage, and he says the reason it's a big deal is because the mystery that marriage is, like Russell Moore highlighted in that bit that you read from the first couple paragraphs, um, that it is, in fact, an image of the marriage of Christ and his church. Um, we don't talk about Christ and his church being bridegroom and bride as a metaphor human marriage is a metaphor for what is the actual real you know reality of marriage which is the relationship between christ and his bride the church so that's why it's a big deal (laughs) you know like like i think that obviously in in terms of pastoral uh concerns and pastoral care of people who have experienced divorce, who, who are who are going through divorce, whose parents have divorced, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's there's more to the to that conversation. Um, I think it's fair to say. But in terms of this conversation, where we're talking about a more specific scenario, we're talking about divorce specifically in the context of abusive relationships, not divorce generally. Um, I think it makes sense to kind of state sort of that baseline uh, general view of divorce um, to to not be the focus of what we talk about, but to serve as as the context where we're talking about this is the reason why, like Russell Moore, again, like Russell Moore said, right. he pointed it out, this is the reason why this is the kind of thing that raises like confusion, confusion and questions as opposed to it's just a very obvious clear yes or no answer right yeah. and and that confusion just to summarize is that god hates divorce that's a quote from the bible and um there is extremely strong language used by our lord to condemn divorce but there is a very clear exception that jesus himself gives and then we'll also get into this but there's also another exception that paul seems to give in first corinthians about abandonment um, and about, uh, you know, if, if, if you're a believer married to an unbeliever there. So there, there are exceptions that the Bible is clear about. Right. Um, and then there, but there is also the, the, the just reality that th- those are the exceptions to what is a, um, a, a, a strong, not unloving, not harsh, not, not, uh, um, not judgmental, but a, a firm stance and belief and conviction that, Divorce goes against the will of God. Um, in that in that same context, Jesus talks or, or makes the I think it's the same context, but Jesus does say what in respect to divorce, what God has joined together, let no man separate. There's there there's a very strong conviction again, not judgmental, not hateful, etc. Conviction against divorce because there is a very strong um, and favorable view of marriage that the Bible puts forth because of the image that marriage is because yeah. of what marriage itself actually is and what marriage does. Um, that's where this, this conviction comes from. And so with that as the baseline, the question arises, 
okay, sexual morality, got it. Abandonment, you know, unbeliever wants to leave, don't make them stay. Okay, got it. Uh, what about abuse? And that's kind of where this this convert the rest of this conversation I think should yeah. should stay. Agreed. Yeah, and I like that's where you started because that's 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 the whole thing. I mean, that's giving the uh, the context for this article in a way uh, because he, he mentioned sort of vaguely in his introduction. You know, he's been getting all these questions because the church has been going through some issues, and I'm sure you guys know this by now. But it is John MacArthur's church. Um, and it's a, it's a very, at least what I've seen, obviously you want to, to trust the, the victim, um, and recognize that people that have been abused, that, um, that their stories are, are, are true to them. And so, um, obviously I wasn't there. I don't have all the context, but it's, it seems like there was some really kind of like messed up stuff going on. Um, and I do know just in general, there are a lot of people who are, um, I guess really I guess maybe on one hand, understandably strict on these things of divorce because they want to hold marriage so highly. They want to uphold the the sanctity of, of marriage and what it represents. But at the same time, at, at, to the uh, detriment of like, like real people who are being hurt and abused and mistreated. Um, and so that it's, it's one of those really difficult things that, that need to be navigated carefully and biblically and pastorally. And at least in my tangential experience, what I've seen like online, what I've heard from people that I've had conversations with is that that's not always handled very well. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard stories of abuse where someone is sent back to their abuser because they're told that they can't divorce them, they can't leave them. There are other reasons. I mean, think about a perhaps a wife who doesn't work, who's raising the children. The husband is the, uh, the person who's working and, and making money and... Imagine the fear of uh, of that woman who's being abused, whose kids are being abused, and not only the fear of like trying to leave or trying to divorce, but what does she have if she leaves? Uh, does she have to go out and find a job? Does she move in with parents? Does um, do the the does the difficulty go away? Like it's it's a very very difficult situation, one that takes hours and hours and hours and perhaps even years of counseling to to work through. And so it's not so easy to just be like, nope, got to stay. Um, so yeah, I like I like that that's where you started. Um, I, I just want to call another quote up here from the article where Russell says, an abusive spouse, in fact, has abandoned the marriage. Abuse is much worse than abandonment. So he's referencing that 1 Corinthians passage that talks about, you know, a, a spouse who wants to leave. Um but yeah, so abuse is much worse than abandonment involving the use of something holy, that is marriage, uh, but for satanic ends. Abuse of a spouse or a child is exactly what God condemns everywhere in the Bible. This leveraging of power to hurt the vulnerable. And he mentions like Psalm 918, Isaiah 3, 14 through 15, Ezekiel 18, 12, Amos 2, 7, Mark 9, 42, etc. Um this, this recognition that there are people who are, are mistreated, who are abused, who are neglected. And those are the people that, that, that Christ's heart goes out to most. I mean, when you think about Christ's own ministry on earth, he was uh, putting himself in relation to uh, many people who would be, you know, who would fall into these categories of um, you know, neglected, um, maybe shamed by society, uh, abused, whatever that might be. Um, and so, 
when it comes to this issue of uh, of abuse in a marriage, um, again, I don't personally, and I, I agree with Russell Moore, I do not see that as a sin. I do not see that as something that is wrong to, to leave that spouse who is abusive. Uh, because as he said, the abusive spouse is the one who has abandoned the marriage. They are the ones, especially if they're Christians, if we're talking about two Christian, like man and a woman living together, um, in a, in a marriage union, if a, if a husband has decided to be abusive, he is very much going against much of what scripture teaches. I mean, just like the golden rule of like, treat others the way that you want to be treated, or to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Um, you cannot be abusive, whether it's verbally, physically, uh, mentally, you cannot be abusive and have a heart of Christ because Christ is not and never will be abusive. Um, and so that that abandonment, that um, that that thing that you are doing that is contrary to the gospel, um, you have been the one who has severed uh, the union that God has had had brought together. And so for the person who is being abused, the the victim in this case, whether it's the the wife and or children, they have the right to to leave. They have the right to safety, um, to to go to uh, pastors, but even more so to go to like civil magistrates or what we would call the authorities of today, um, to go to the police, to go to different hotlines that exist, uh, to to seek help, to to get out of a situation where uh, life and limb could be a very real threat. Um, so yeah, curious what you have to say. There are a couple of things I also wanted to touch on, but I, I want to kick it back to you. Yeah, I, I think that one of the reasons that I liked this article as much as I did is is the the um, the pastoral uh, thrust that that Dr. Moore has here, um, because I think that like that that's sort of the the angle he's taking. You know, like that's the point of this article. He's not. Um, the that that's just not the you know that that's what he's trying to do here sorry i lost my train of thought mid sentence but but um additionally i just think that this is a pastoral like like first and foremost this is an issue of um this, this is a pastoral issue this is this is an issue of caring for as he says the vulnerable um and and there's this there's this one one quote in particular uh, towards the end of the article. In the case of domestic violence, the church has a responsibility not only to alert the relevant civil authorities, but also to bear the abuse sufferer's burdens by arranging a safe place of refuge and meeting other needs. And I think that um, in in real life terms, like the, I, I think that this question in my life, you know, you know, staying up in Bible college dorm rooms or talking about it in church context or hearing sermons about it um, or, or, or seeing it come up in, in you know, theology books or, or even, you know, typically articles like this one. Um, we often go to, I think, the way we approach this, this topic, um, divorce in the context of abuse, is to start with making a case that um, a situation of abuse fits one or the other uh, New Testament exceptions uh, for for where divorce is acceptable, and to sort of begin with a biblical and theological case that justifies um, an individual in that in that circumstance uh, uh, filing for divorce, leaving their spouse, 
and then to go to the sort of immediate uh, physical and, and emotional and mental needs in terms of like, does the abuse victim need a place to stay? Are there children? Is there is there like an active safety concern? And how do we help? And, and how do we, you know, get, get this person plugged into any sort of mental health care they need, et cetera, et cetera, you know, so on and so forth. And I think that um, that's that's great. You know, like I don't have a problem with either of those steps. But I think that the one thing that I think is sort of implicit in some of what the, the way that um, – Russell Moore worded things and that I think that I, I want to kind of make a claim should be should be sort of explicit like is um, the first step like like we're speaking in generalities here we're speaking in terms of like sort of the theoretical like what do you do in this situation so we're assuming that this is this is you know somebody comes to you and there is uh, there truly is abuse going on and that we're really in this situation and trying to figure out how to serve and minister in the case of that sort of crisis situation, right? I'm not interested in conversations about, you know, whether, how do you evaluate if someone's being abused? Like, we're just assuming that this person is being abused. Like, right away, especially if there are children, well, I don't want to say especially, but um, if there are children involved, this, you know, just becomes there's that many more people in this situation of need but like right away i think that the pastor that the pastor's response right the church's response is um we're gonna get you out of that house you know like maybe maybe that maybe that victim can't even go home to like pick up clothes or whatever we're gonna we're gonna make sure that your your physical needs are met and you're protected and maybe that means you know um, I'm going to take like in, in extreme cases, I'm imagining like maybe that means like I'm going to take you into my home and lock you in the basement and not tell this person where you are if they come by asking for you. Right. Like like if there's an active safety concern, it's it's that kind of thing, you know. Um, and in less extreme cases, there's 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 you, you need to get out of there. You know, uh, oh, you don't have a job like that. You don't you don't need to be the it's not i'm giving you advice to leave your spouse and spiritual permission and then you're gonna go live on the street and i'll be sure to you know tell you how much jesus loves you but it's like these the there's this immediate like physical separation that needs to happen in the case of abuse like any kind of abuse because if we're talking about physical abuse or sexual abuse like physical space protects you from that abuse mm. like continuing on if we're talking about emotional or mental uh, manipulation and abuse being a cutting off contact, you know, protects you from the, and, you know, financial abuse and exploitation. Like you need to be away in order to, to, you know, be, be free of those, those, um, uh, those, those chains that are binding you to that person. Um, and the church needs to just step in and needs to do that. Right. Um, and that doesn't require a divorce. You, you know what I mean? Like if, if, my spouse is abusing me. I need to physically remove myself in in the immediate short term, and my church ought to be um, supporting me and providing for my needs and meeting those physical needs. And that that needs to happen right now, regardless of what happens in a week or a month or a year from now, right? And I think that that's that's where we then start talking about. Okay, so first of all. Are there grounds for divorce? You know, I think generally the abandonment argument is 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 a pretty good one. I, I 
I don't know if it works perfectly, you know, like I think you, you could probably come up with reasons why it doesn't fit. But I think that generally speaking, I think that does hit on sort of what's going on, at least in broad terms. And I think that that's probably generally where I would go to make a biblical theological case for divorce in this scenario. But but these are the conversations that that happen once the safety is addressed, right? Um, being physically removed from the situation allows these conversations to happen. Not we have these theological pastoral debates with ourselves, and then once we come to an answer, offer support. And I'm not a, I'm not saying anybody's doing that, Russell Moore or or any other church, or I've I've never seen or heard of that. I'm just saying. In, in the in the theoretical world, you know, that's why I think the pastoral response needs to like lead the way here more so than the exegetical theological work to to justify or not justify a divorce. And the reason I say that is a divorce doesn't happen overnight. A divorce shouldn't happen overnight. And um, there are there are bigger questions like what are what's the what does life look like if we're talking about the, the permanent ending of that marriage for the abuse victim? What does um, what does it look like if the abuser, you know, is confronted with with the gospel and and the law, uh, you know, regarding their sin and repents? Uh, that doesn't mean sh- you know, you know. Oh, good, we get to wipe our hands, send the abuse victim and the kids home, and everything's good because they repented. Um, but it does mean that there's repentance. What is re- what does reconciliation look like or not look like if there's repentance? it might look like a divorce. It, it, it might, the, that, that relationship might be so badly damaged from the pr- prior abuse that even the ending of abuse and repentance of the abuser, that might not be enough to reconcile the marriage relationship. It, in an ideal world, you know, we, uh, what we would all hope and pray for is that it would for, for you know, two Christians who who have been in that situation to be able to heal and reconcile. But that's not something that that is that is um y- you know, a short-term thing even if it does happen. So th- there are all these concerns that that arise pastorally that need to take se- center stage, I think. And so I don't want to focus, you know, I'm imagining myself sort of being in this, you know, pastoral situation in, in, in a church context. And I don't want my first response to be, let's crack open 1 Corinthians. And that's not because I don't want to go to the word of God right away, but it's because I don't want to be trying to figure out how to care for a person who is being abused <laughs> in whatever way um, as an intellectual exercise over how can I justify or not justified divorce, right? Because in the short term, divorce isn't even really the first uh, step. So the first step needs to be, how do we take care of this person and protect them? And then these are the conversations that go on later, right? And if, if the abusing spouse is a member of the church as well, this, this changes how uh, the, the church, that church is, that church ought to respond to the situation than if the abuse victim is a member and is a part of the community, but the abuser is not. You know, obviously there's going to be, there's a, there's a different level of intervention in, in the abuser's life that a pastor is able to take if that abuser is not a member of their community, faith community versus if, if they are. So I, I know I, I kind of got a little far afield of where I meant to go, but I just think that that's what I really, the, the pastoral 
heart that I sensed in Russell Moore's article really impressed me because I think that this is such a first and foremost pastoral care, you know, immediate, like a meeting of needs kind of issue before it's a theological debate. And, and when we get to the sort of like, okay, how do I, as a, as a, as a faithful biblical Christian or pastor, how do I counsel someone who's, who's been through this with respect to whether or not or how to continue their marriage relationship? Um, I, I think that there, there's a reality that you made vows and if you're going around abusing the person that you made vows to, you know, to love and to hold and sickness and health and all that kind of stuff to, to, uh, to cherish, to, to cherish, love. you know, if he, if he, whichever, whichever, whichever gender spouse is the abuser in Ephesians five, you know, there, there are, there are pretty clear instructions on how to be a husband and a wife that, that in either direction don't involve abuse. Um, like, 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 so like, I think that, I think that abandonment is, is, is probably the best framework or lens for thinking about how does this map on to legitimate grounds for divorce um because at the end of the day whether you're whether you end up divorcing or not whether you end up reconciling or not whether you're separated for three years and then you do reconcile after a miracle and god working in your hearts who who knows there's a there's an infinite number of possibilities because every situation is different but i think that um i do think that uh the church needs to immediately be prepared to respond um, in, in a way that meets those needs, Agreed. you know, yeah. and, and just as a, as a side note, like, I think any, I think every church should have some kind of like plan in place. Uh, like maybe you have a, 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 a group of volunteers who at a moment's notice, you know, you can pick up the phone and be like, you know, Hey Joe, uh, so-and-so just came to me and they're, they're, they're being abused and they need a place to stay. And they're, they have a guest room that they've offered up just, just as, a, you know, like that kind of, of, of preparation where, right. where it's this like a formalized plan where this is how our church family is going to respond to, to, to this need should it arise in our community. Yeah. Um, and that, that I think, like I said, just a side note, um, just, it, just uh, yeah. of like, but if the, you the, don't the, have the, that pastoral, like that pastoral mindset of like, this is, this is part of us fulfilling our duties as Christians, as the body of Christ, as, 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 as the local church in, in this area or whatever, um, to, to serve and love our, our community and our, our neighbors. Agreed. And I, I think I'll even go a step further and say, um, that if you don't have a plan, you need to start developing one immediately. Because as he says in the article, if you're a minister, you can almost guarantee that someone in your pews, or at least in your immediate community, is experiencing domestic violence and abuse. I mean, the statistics just say that that's the case. Um, so I don't. You should not think, oh, that would never happen here. I know my people. That would never happen in my church. The reality is, is it does happen, and it is happening. And sometimes it's happening in your building. Um, so it's such so you just you need to have a plan you need to have something in place so that when this comes it isn't a surprise it isn't a well what what do we do um you should have an immediate plan of action you should know step one two and three and uh like like lucas said the primary thing should be the the health the safety the well-being of the people who are being abused and i think in my mind when i think of 
uh, when I think of uh, this issue, a text that comes to mind is actually in James. So I'm going to read real quick James 1, uh, 19 through like 26, uh, where he says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth in the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I think a lot of abusers, especially those who are in churches, are doers of the word. Uh, or sorry, they are um, they're hearers, but not doers. They, they hear it on Sunday, but they don't actually live it out. Uh, and he goes on in verse 23 to say, Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, uh, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. And then it closes, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after widows and orphans uh, in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And I would like to posit even that widows and orphans is not simply uh, women and children who have, who have lost a father to death. In my mind, uh, an abusive husband, um, that wife and children, in a sense, are widows and orphans. The father has given up the right. I don't care about the, the bio biological relation. Uh, if, if there is a father who is being abusive to his wife and or his children, uh, he has given up his right to be called father, to be a, a dad, to, uh, to bear that uh, title that is again, reflective of, a, of our greater heavenly father who loves us, who cherishes us, who comes after us, who, uh, who would never do anything wrong or hurtful to us. In fact, he laid down his life to save us. Um, and so to me, a church is doing pure and undefiled religion when they care for the wife right. and the children in these abusive scenarios. And so, and let's also remember that, that, that widows and orphans were in the ancient world, I believe, you know, as far my understanding, you know, it's safe to say the group, two groups of people that had exactly the the, the least amount of protection yep. in terms of the most vulnerable um, societal safeguards and and economics uh, security and all that kind of stuff. So so to you know, I think I, I think that not I, I agree with what you said 100 percent. And and if, even if you don't agree with that in terms of abdication of fatherhood, um there's there's also the sense in which what James is telling us to do is, is is to go to those who have the least protection, the least help, the least care being being um, available to them, and to and to provide that care. Uh, and, and so I think that I think that that is that is a fantastic uh, place to go to to go to James to to um, to sort of see this you know in in a, in a different context in terms of like. Um, no, this is this is specifically being <laughs> commanded of us as the church to to live this way right. with respect to these needs and stuff. Yeah. Well, is there anything else we want to say here? Were there any last little bits that that we feel like perhaps have not uh, come up? 
one of one of the things I think he closes his article. I, I'll, I'll read that quote because I do like that. But if you have anything else you want to say, please feel free to add. But um, uh, no, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Well, he says, "What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder." Right. So he's quoting directly from Scripture. He says, "Yes and Amen." But sometimes Jesus would also have us recognize that man should not force together what God has put asunder, um, and that's just an interesting thing to ponder. Um, that in in the midst of very difficult situations such as abuse and mistreatment, um, that perhaps that yeah we should not force this thing together, this thing that God has 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 separated. Um, and so I don't know. That's again, this was a, a heavy topic. It's one that I I wanted to approach carefully and with with um, a pastoral heart. And uh, if we have not done a good job doing that, we do apologize. Um, we again could not be more sorry. So at least I think we had a, a good, a good conversation here. Um, so do we want to mention the national domestic violence hotline? I see that you've included that in your notes. Do you want to? Yeah, I wanted to throw, to put that in the end as you know, statistically, uh, um, uh, analytically, I don't know what the odds are that someone who hears this, uh, would be in need of this information, but this was sort of the most general kind of help that I, think we could really access because i don't know you know if, if you're within the u.s where you are you know but the there there is a 24 7 national domestic violence hotline that you can call at uh 1-800-799-7233 you can also text um the word start s-t-a-r-t to the number 88788 so you can call 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. That is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. No connection to us, no connection to the church, no affiliation with anything Christian or religious. Uh, I don't even know how helpful or not helpful they are. I've never talked to someone who I know who's who's used them, but but I, that's the most, I think, wide-ranging um you know, resource that, that, that we could throw in here that I, that I think is relevant, obviously, uh, to, to the topic. Um, so, you know, hopefully and prayerfully, no one who ever hears this would need that. But um, if you or someone you know would need that information and you weren't aware of it, that's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That's 24-7. And you can, if you just Google that too, you'll be able to find their website and, and all that stuff. So um, in order to, to pray us out, I wanted to, to take a, a prayer for the blessing of marriage um, from the marriage uh, liturgy in the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. As we're talking about abuse within marriage and divorce, I think it'd be good to sort of recenter our view of marriage in into into the the prayers of, 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 you know, one section of the church for the actual marriage ceremony. So let's pray. Most gracious God, we give you thanks for your tender love in sending Jesus Christ to come among us, to be born of a human mother, and to make the way of the cross to be the way of life. We thank you also for consecrating the union of man and woman in his name. By the power of your Holy Spirit, pour out the abundance of your blessing upon this man and this woman. Defend them from every enemy. Lead them into all peace let their love for each other be a seal upon their hearts, a mantle about their shoulders, and a crown upon their foreheads. Bless them in their work and in their companionship, in their sleeping and in their waking, in their joys and in their sorrows, in their life and in their death. In your mercy, bring them to your heavenly banquet where your saints feast forever at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Obviously, we are not 
at a wedding, so we're not praying for any specific man and woman, but um, more to, like I said, <laughs> remind us of the aim and hope for marriage. So thank you for tuning in, um, especially if you you know listened all the way through. Not the most fun of episodes, but thank you for for your support, for listening to this episode and any episode of, of the Doxology podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter, although neither of us are very active on Twitter nowadays, at Doxology Podcast, or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, ideas for future episodes, um, perhaps resources we could share either in a future episode or uh, on Twitter or something with respect to these issues. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. regardless of what it is and uh you know hopefully you're having a good weekend hopefully you're having a good a good uh lenten season we're we're coming up on easter in a few weeks so looking forward to that but until next time we'll see you peace